I don't know about you, but I'm always inspired by great stories about how people have done great work, especially if it centres on empowering people to look after themselves at home, well supported by clinical teams. If you are like me, you're in the right place. My name is Anne Cooper and I'm a nurse with a passion for how we use digital technology to help us to care for people. In this NHSX podcast series, I will be chatting to people who've done just that, come together and worked out how to use technology in new and innovative ways to improve care all against the backdrop of a global pandemic. These are stories of clinical transformation with technology and they form part of the NHSX National Innovation Collaborative. If you want to know more about the collaborative, please join the conversations on the National Innovation Collaborative workspace. You can find more information and a link in the show notes. So get your ears tuned in and get ready to be inspired. Hello everybody, it's a delight to be here with Megan Dale and Paul Dimitri as part of the Innovation Collaborative podcast. I'd first of all like to ask you both a little bit about who you are and how you first got involved in this work. Uh, We'll start with Paul. I'm a professor of child health and a consultant in paediatric endocrinology at Sheffield Children's NHS Foundation Thrust and I'm also director of research and innovation at the Thrust. But how I got involved in this project was through my connections with the Yorkshire and Humber Academic Health Science Network. So I head up one of the 11 NIHR MedTech and in vitro diagnostic cooperatives, namely the NIHR Children and Young People's MedTech Cooperative. Um, We focus on uh, the development of child health technology and I spoke with the Yorkshire and Humber Academic Health Science Network about the TITOCARE project, the TITOCARE being the piece of equipment that we're looking at and assessing. And I spoke to them about, you know, evaluating the technology that they're rolling out over the Yorkshire and Humber network um, so we are we are being uh, funded through NHSX to support the evaluation of the title care project. And what about you, Megan? Tell me a bit about you and how this journey started for you. So I'm a paediatric registrar, so I'm doing my training to become a paediatric consultant here in the Yorkshire and Humber region. And I took um, a year out of my training to do a Health um, Education England Leadership Fellow. And as part of that, I um, was asked to lead on the title care project at Bradford Teaching Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. So, yeah, I, did, I was kind of clinical lead for that project. And that's how I got involved. Megan, tell me a little bit more about title care um, and how it works. It's a handheld um, telemedicine device. So it allows you to have a virtual consultation. So like you would chat to somebody on Zoom or MS Teams, you can see the child or person at the other side um, and they can see the healthcare professional. Um, but it also allows you to be able to examine that child or person or, or adult as well. So um, you can have a listen to their heart sounds, their lung sounds when they're breathing um, through the electronic stethoscope. You can examine their ears, um, their throat, their mouth. And um, it's got a really good inbuilt camera so you can have a nice look at the weird and wonderful rashes that children present with um, and you can measure the heart rate and the temperature as well so it just allows you to take that next step from a video consult that we've, we've all become familiar with during the pandemic and just be able to examine children and young people as well. I think you were starting to use this equipment before the pandemic started is that right? 
Yes, the, the trust journey with Title Care, they first heard about it back in 2017. My colleague, Matthew Matai, heard about it at a conference. Um, and then in 2019, I guess we were intrigued about the, the technology. And I guess our first question was, does this really do what it says on the tin? Um, so back in 2019, we, we kind of took the device and we examined 16 children, right from a baby of six weeks up to 16 years. We examined them using the Title device. And then we examined them like we would do normally in person with our normal stethoscopes and normal otoscopes and things and we compared the two and found actually it, it does do what it says on the tin and um, there were some difficulties as there is with any new technology especially around connectivity but the device can be utilized in two different ways so you can have that live online consult that I kind of described earlier but you can also record an examination so um, a parent or even the young person themselves can record an examination or a healthcare professional that's with them and then that can be reviewed by a clinician or another healthcare professional at a different time and um, so that kind of journey started in 2019 and started with that really and um, we discovered another interesting fact there's, there's some artificial intelligence built into the device and that that's wonderful it's a, it's there to ensure that the video quality and the sound quality is good enough for somebody to be able to kind of utilize but as any of you who've ever met a child will know they don't sit perfectly still or perfectly quietly all the time and um, so that if you're doing it kind of in that offline mode that kind of forward and send mode that I described the AI will kick in to say hang on a minute that child's moving and <laughs> um, you need to re-record um, but you can get over that by doing the live consult and um, so there was lots of learning from that initial kind of usability pilot and um, that enabled us then to do an actual clinical pilot using patients really. It sounds that um, like it's quite important then to have some early experiments with this technology to work out how you actually can use it in practice. Did the pandemic then last year accelerate the way you were going to do the project? Yeah, massively so. And um, back in 2019, when they started trying to get staff, healthcare professionals and patients involved in the pilot was really quite tricky. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, obviously everybody had to really rethink the way we work and the way that we see children and young people. Um, and it kind of really opened everybody's eyes to seeing us do things in a different way, being able to do things in a different way. And I think for, for families as well, the way that they access healthcare, it wasn't just a one-way route. They suddenly saw that there was different ways to access healthcare too. So I would say that the kind of feeling from both families and healthcare professionals was much more receptive to the idea of doing things in a different way. So yeah, it was much easier kind of once the pandemic hit. Um, we also changed the focus of our pilots. I think initially we'd been hoping to utilise the device in our ambulatory care experience. That's our hospital at home children's team. But actually when the pandemic hit, I think all of us working in healthcare really were quite worried about the children and young people that we wanted to protect and um, particularly vulnerable children and young people. So for us, that was um, our children with lung problems, chronic lung problems, and our children um, with, like, with life-limiting illnesses. So, um, those groups of children require a lot of input from the multidisciplinary team. So they're not a group of children that you'd want to keep away from healthcare professionals, but equally a group of children and young people that you want to protect. So we didn't want them anywhere near the hospital as well. So and um, we really changed our focus really to seeing how we, we could utilise the device to really be able to make a difference to those children and young people during the pandemic. That sounds like it's sort of really acted as an accelerant. Um, Paul, I know that you're passionate about properly evaluating projects um, and work that we do. And I, I also think that you're interested in that from multiple perspectives. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the evaluation work that you're doing as part of the project? First and foremost, I think, Hiran, is, is to say that 
the evaluation part of this is enormously important. Um, this is a really big project. It's, as, as I said, it's headed up by the Yorkshire and Humber Academic Health Science Network, and, and we got involved in ex the bit that you described, the evaluation side. Evaluating this piece of technology, even at a regional level, is going to be hugely important as we move towards a national level. So we, we approach this through service user and end user evaluation. So it's, it's about making sure that the service user is comfortable with using the piece of technology and it integrates very well into the service. And of course, the, the problem if we don't have service user acceptance is that often technology then falls by the wayside because people fall out with it, they say that it doesn't work, and in fact the technology may work perfectly well, but actually the service user isn't either comfortable with it or it doesn't integrate well with the, the clinical pathway of the service that it's intended to, to be in. In terms of end-user evaluation, we regard that as highly important. So as when we started NIHR Children Young People MedTech Cooperative, we we made sure that the ethos of everything that we do was health technology designed for children with children. The importance of that is such that if the end user doesn't like something, it doesn't matter how much the service provider is pushing for that technology and, and advocating the use of it. If the, the end user doesn't like it, they will reject it and they'll move back to the more traditional ways of doing things. So the, the evaluation is about ensuring that the technology integrates well with the service, that it fits with multiple different clinical pathways, and this is the advantage of, of working across multiple different clinical pathways within the different NHS trusts. So this has been rolled out across both paediatric and adult healthcare, um, but also that the, that the end user will accept it as well and that we gather the data to ensure that's, that's the case. There is also a third part to this as well in terms of the evaluation, which is making sure that actually, you know, from the technical side, things are, are running smoothly. The, the key to this is to say, well, when, when the project has been evaluated and it's finished and the report is written, that when it comes to working with other uh, parts of the NHS or other regions, that we're able to provide the necessary data to those regions to ensure them that on those three levels everything is acceptable, so that the technology is acceptable to the service provider and you know integrates well with that clinical pathway. It's acceptable to the end user, and in this case it will be patients and their parents, and that's again important because actually there is a transition between parents using this technology and ultimately patients using this technology as they mature from being young people through transition into adolescence and, and adults. And that, you know, in terms of the technical side of things, that it is that the technology is implementable in, in different different regions. So there's a, there's a fair bit to the evaluation. Um, as I mentioned before, we were uh, funded through NHSX to uh, to have a full-time project manager to support that evaluation because it's an extensive evaluation. I mean, there's a significant number of trusts that have adopted this technology uh, within Yorkshire and Humber. So, you know, the, am the amount of data points is sizable. So you do need somebody with both the expertise and the time to be able to do this. And, you know, I think going back to your point as well, Anne, about evaluation being important, this the evaluation side of things is important for every technology that we um, 
that we integrate within NHS clinical care. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think actually it can help us to better outcomes if we do it well and do as you say, which is share properly the outcomes of that evaluation. Uh, Megan, you will have some early feelings having worked with families using the technology about how they're responding to it. What are your reflections about what's happened um, with actual families? So I I kind of reflect back about um, what families have found um, and then just how that's impacted me as a a clinician, if that's all right, Anne. Um, So in terms of what families found, um, we gave the device, so we utilised it, our specialist nurses utilised the device, but we also gave seven families a device to keep within their home. Um, And of those seven families, four of those families wouldn't have had the technology or the ability to be able to even just do a video consult, which is what we were using as kind of our main consultation method before the TITO pilot. So I think, first of all, it opened my eyes. I think sometimes we just automatically assume that everybody can do a video consult, that it's quite a simple thing to do, but actually it's it's really not. So I think it really opened my eyes and challenged me always to think um, about how a patient might be able to access what we're offering as healthcare professionals. Um, But also it's just really wonderful to be able to enable those families, um, so to be able to give them the technology they needed or the internet connectivity or give them the training that they needed to be able to um, access healthcare in that way. And I think what I really, what the pilot really opened my eyes to um, is really the impact that chronic illness has on our families and the personal circumstances they're in. So I think often you might see a child or young person in clinic, um, but we don't tend to think about how they got there or the impact that's had on their families. So one of our um, families that we utilise the device with um, is a mum who's registered blind and has four children with a chronic lung problem. And so for her, um, most weeks she's at the hospital for some kind of appointment for one of the children. And that involves either her getting on two buses, which obviously creates a, a lot of anxiety. She can't see. Um, so trying to travel into the centre of Bradford and out again is, is really distressing. And the children are young as well. Um, so trying to know, feel that they're safe while they're doing that is really difficult. Or involves her husband taking a day off work and he's self-employed. So that's no income for them for a day. So as healthcare professionals, we think we're providing really good care for that family by seeing them in an outpatient appointment. Actually, we've caused a lot of um, emotional and psychological stress by getting there um, so I think it just really opened my eyes to think about the practicalities for our family of getting to the different types of appointments that we offer them and so for her being able to utilize this device being able to sit in a front room with the device and um, that we were able you know we were able to um, it's color coded and she can see bits of color so we were able to find ways around so that she could utilize this device completely independently so for her being able to see somebody um, and we even managed to, you know, because of the ease of it um, and, and the efficiency savings from a healthcare point of view, we were able to see them even before school. So the children weren't missing full days of school and um, the older ones. And mum was able to sit in a front room feeling safe and reassured and not having that anxiety run up to appointments about the journey to and from the hospital. And um, so for me, really being able to challenge myself um, as a doctor about not just that patient in front of me and the healthcare problem, but actually thinking about those wider determinants of healthcare and the stress on families and, and being able to see how they utilising the device had made a difference to that. So I think often we want to, we can use video consults, but for these children, it was really important to be able to hear and um, to be able to examine the chest. So that was why we were having to kind of bring them up or, or their ears and um, because of the condition. So by being able to still examine them remotely and allowed us to be able to manage them most of the time at home, which really made a big difference. Can I maybe make a comment on that? And and I think Megan's raised a a really important point, and you alluded to the the pandemic um, earlier on in, in your question. And I think the pandemic has 
push healthcare professionals to think differently about how we deliver care. And, you know, the, with the simple question, do we actually physically need to see a patient? Do they need to be in front of us to do what we do? And I think Megan's beautifully described there that actually there are a number of patients where we don't need to see them to necessarily deliver care. Uh, I mean, I've heard stories um, in the past about this where patients have travelled for hours, sometimes because they've been in, in rural settings. They've travelled to city centre hospitals to receive test results. So they spend hours getting somewhere. They then wait for an appointment, go in, they spend 15 to 20 minutes during that consultation receiving positive test results only to travel back again, which could have easily been done through a, a different process, a telecommunications process. And this this project, the Title Care project, has essentially enhanced that. It not only allows us to communicate with patients, but it allows us to uh, provide almost a, a complete consultation with having the facility to do things like auscultate a patient's chest, to look in their ears, etc. And the, the impact on this, the families that we look after, even for those that may not necessarily have to travel far but, or may not necessarily have challenging conditions, if a patient comes to hospital, the process by which they have to get somewhere, to park, to check in, to wait for the consultation and to leave again can often take up to half a day. And for parents, that could be half a day of work lost. And uh, for the children and young young people, that could be half a day of education lost. And so if you think of, of utilising this type of technology now in the sense of saying, well, actually, if the consultation only takes 10 or 15 minutes, you've saved half a day of work lost and half a day of education lost, and that can only be a good thing. And in fact, the speed at which we can deliver these consultations is also accelerated as well. So I think there are clear advantages to trialling this and other technologies that support delivering healthcare in a different way. I absolutely agree um, with all of that. And I think that, you know, Megan illustrated how there's a number of barriers too to why those parents might not actually end up in clinic. They can't afford to take the day off work, etc. So the technology is uh, reducing the bath to entry really for them so Megan how did um, colleagues that you worked with respond was everybody universally positive about using the technology it'd be wonderful if we could say universal for anything but I don't think we ever can in healthcare <laughs> can we um, but actually you know I, I think it's helpful when people are skeptical because it makes us think about why we're doing something and how we do it in a critical way and have we taken the right approach so I really welcomed those skeptics because it really made us think about the different pathways and and, and whether they were appropriate or not and um, but I think what we managed to find with with our thing and what would be really wonderful to see as the project expands across the region is we managed to find a group of children and people families that that it was really effective with and I think you know, we've we recorded some videos of parents being given feedback. So I think the colleagues that were sceptical, once they've been able to see and hear that, um, were really not. And, and I've got to say, even the ones that were sceptical were so incredibly supportive because I think the real heart behind this was really trying to make a positive impact on um, children and young people. Um, so nobody's going to argue that. Um, I think sometimes um, in technology projects, people um, that are a bit sceptical of technology, and I've got to say I'm one of those sceptics, um, you know, we, we think, oh, they're just making it harder for us or it's not as good for the family. It's always better for them to be there in person. But I think what the pilot showed me and my colleagues that were a bit sceptical as well was that actually 
what we think is best for the patient isn't always best for the patient and family. And then that technology, when it's used in the right pathway, can be really beneficial. So the right technology in the right pathway can be really beneficial. I think the pandemic did help, as we alluded to earlier, open up the acceptability to different healthcare professionals. Um, But one of the other things that I think was really helpful about the pilot was how um, it was utilised really by a multidisciplinary team. So our chest physios were heavily involved our specialist nurses so it wasn't just doctors saying um, and I think that's always really helpful and um, the fact that the whole team found it really useful and actually you know our nurses and our physios um, were probably more proactive um, in in kind of highlighting the benefits um, than anybody else really so I think the multidisciplinary team approach definitely really helped the acceptability across the whole team and it wasn't just the clinical team you know um, I think when projects like this involved is there's informatics team the IT team the um, the clinical engineering team, the, the senior leadership within the trust, multiple trusts. Um, and I think when you think about um, the different instru- infrastructures and teams involved and kind of taking them all on that journey with you really kind of allows for everybody to come out the same end with the same feeling and um, same understanding of what the pilot's been able to achieve, really. One of the things in, in, in my experience um, of working in the informatics space is about clinical safety. Did you have to do anything specifically to make sure that you weren't introducing risk and that we were keeping everybody safe? How did you handle those things? Yeah, there's a massive amount of work went into that, and because obviously it's the most important thing, isn't it? We don't want to do anything that's not safe for for our patients. So we were um, did a lot of kind of work on risk assessments and things. And um, for the families that had the device in their home, I think the really important thing for us was to clearly communicate when to use the device. Um, so, you know, if your child's there with a, an acute breathing problem, that's not the time to turn on your Taito device. That's the time to call 999. And I think the benefit of working with a group of patients and families that we knew really well was that we could do that. But we also utilised individual care plans to be able to really clearly in- illustrate that with kind of a colour-coded red, amber, green um, process. So there was a really clear process for the clinical team of when the device was to be utilised, but a really clear process for the families and the children and people themselves of, of when the device was appropriate to be used and actually when it was totally the wrong thing to use and um, when we needed to do other things. And um, So we were able to utilise things that exist already about, you know, red flags for children, some, some wonderful things that the NHS have already produced. So we are able to kind of integrate um, those signposting systems within an individualised care plan for each child and young person. So they really clearly knew, not just on paper, but we went through it with them in person of when the device was to be used and when it wasn't. Paul, bearing in mind the range of partners that you're working with on this project across the region, how are you making sure that you all stay connected to each other and learn as you go along? I think you're right. I mean, this is an extensive project. We're all in this project across the whole of Yorkshire and Humber. And so there's multiple NHS trusts involved in delivering title care. And of course, we're evaluating this across all these trusts. Now, the plan is is potentially to spread out to the northeast as well. And so what we needed was a platform to be able to exchange information and support this collaboration. Now, the Innovation Collaborative Digital Health Platform has done exactly that. So, um, for those that may not know about it, it is hosted by NHS X Digital Health Team, and it's been established to provide a community working together to deliver technology-enabled services. And of course, you know, when you're working across multiple different sites like this, you need a comprehensive platform to be able to share information, to support collaboration, and and importantly, to avoid duplication as well. So, you know, it's been a, an enormously successful platform and I know 
you know, there's an opportunity for uh, other collaborative working groups and healthcare professionals to access uh, the Innovation Collaborative Digital Health Platform in the future. Yeah, I think listeners just can join the Innovation Collaborative Workspace on future NHS. Yep. Uh, we're coming towards the end and I just want to conclude really by asking both of you very briefly to tell listeners if you had one piece of advice that you would offer them, one thing that is a single really important thing, what would it be? Paul? I think my key message here is, is will come in one word, which is evaluate. Okay, so the... Technology in the NHS is hugely important, but actually ensuring that it works and it works for everybody, you know, this is those that are delivering the technology, those that are providing the service through the technology and those that are using the technology, it needs to work for everybody. So my one word, you know, my take home message is evaluate. Thank you. Megan. I'll go for question, actually. Question and challenge, two, two words. So I think I just encourage um, my kind of colleagues in the healthcare professional um, to, to question and to challenge, to, to, to ask that patient how they got there or to ask that patient how they'd like to access healthcare. Um, and to really, um, I guess, challenge to me personally has been to open my eyes to think about the patient and the family in front of me um, and, and how we're delivering that healthcare, how they're able to access it. And is that the way we want or is that the way they want? Um, and if it's not the way they want or not the way that's easiest to them, um, how are we able to how are we able to support that? Is there a technology available? Is there a platform available um, that can help us support them being able to access healthcare in, in a way that, that suits them, in a way that um, actually provides benefit, a positive benefit for that family? Back to Paul. Yeah, could I come in? Because it would be remiss of me, and, and Megan has, of course, prompted me with, with her question. It would be remiss of me not to finish with, it, with a key message about children and young people, because this project has been primarily about children and young people. And for the listeners to remember that children and young people make up a significant portion of the population. They are 25% of our UK population and 100% of the future ahead. So working with them and with the families and with healthcare professionals to support the rollout of technology for children and young people is going to be vitally important for how we deliver healthcare in the future. Thank you both very much. I, I actually feel quite inspired by your story about how you're using remote monitoring um, to work with children and families, actually. And I think you're both um, exemplars for the things that we need to do um, as we move forward into a new era around using technology for care. So thank you both very much for your time. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And remember to follow the podcast series and sign in to the Innovation Collaborative on the future NHS platform.